guy who sort of invented the 10,000 hour rule, which isn't actually a rule at all. It's a misappropriation of research. Hey, podcast listener, you're about to discover insider tips, tricks, and secrets to making more sales and converting more prospects into customers with email marketing. For more information about the email marketing podcast or the autoresponder guy, go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast. All right, it's John McIntyre here, the autoresponder guy. I'm here with Dave Allen, once again, the street magician turned copywriter. And uh, today, I thought it'd be really fascinating to talk about how to learn uh, anything and not just learn say copywriting but how to learn like a lot of people are like how do I get clients well there's a, there's a way to learn how to get like obviously people who get clients have a, they're doing specific things you just need to learn what they're doing and then do those things and then you should be getting clients so uh, so it'll be really valuable to have a bit of a, a bit of a chat about how the brain learns how one learns and uh, so you can apply that to go and achieve your dreams absolutely <laughs> so tell me about. Let's start with you, man. You've you've done the. Um, I mean, street street magic's pretty cool. I don't. I think you're the only street magician I've met. They're a rare breed. So tell me about that. Like, how do you how do you go and learn magic? Is it something you do when you're five years old because you're you know you're a kid and you're obsessed, or did you follow some kind of like? How did you learn? How did you get into it? And then how did you develop the um, get it to the point where you were like going into the street and shouting at people to come watch your show? You know, it's interesting because I got a typical example of this. I would say because most magicians, just like I mentioned, start when they're like very young and sort of progress all the way to where there's in sort of a, a linear path. And for myself, I didn't start, I'm 42 now, I started when I was 29, okay? And basically I started into magic because I was interested in psychology and I had taken stuff like that in university. My dad was always a, a very uh, practical joker and so forth. So the first few magic tricks I ever attempted were in retaliation <laughs> on my father. And so when those things worked and I sort of saw the effect they had on and how easily somebody, my dad's a rather sharp individual, how easily he was duped, then I thought, wow, this is really interesting. And that sort of made me delve further. Uh, for a couple of years after that, it was a hobby until I started doing it professionally. And then the way I sort of learned it, now I got lucky, I think, in a way, because I think when you're a child, you sort of learn everything when you get into magic. And a lot of that stuff later in life, you just discard. That's not to say it's not valuable because you probably learn what you like or what doesn't work or isn't good. But by the time I got into magic was, like I said, when I was 29, I already had tastes in other arts that helped me inform the magic. So I already had tastes in music. I already had tastes in literature and so forth. And so, you know, I knew what I wanted to do in the magic thing. I, I saw tricks or I saw presentations. I thought, oh, I could see myself in that or I would like to play with that and so forth. Uh, so I sort of just went down that path in a very specific manner where I, I studied only things I thought I would actually do. So that really helped because it really narrowed down to the time I could spend on things because I would only have these few things that I would spend my time on and I wasn't trying to learn everything at once. I think that directly applies to copywriting too because it does seem like this very big, gigantic 5,000 different tactic type thing where, and really it's not, you know, if you sort of wipe the mystique away, it's actually pretty simple. There are a lot of nuances to it that you can use and people have used, but you know, it's actually a pretty straightforward thing. So I think a lot of people make a big deal out of, out of things that aren't necessarily that big of a deal. And, and magic was one of them, sort of, you know, there's because people don't know how, the, unless you're a magician or unless you're familiar with how some of the tricks are done and so forth, there is a lot of mystique surrounding that too. And I, I for one, now we're not allowed to reveal any of the secrets usually, that's against the sort of code, but I will say that a lot of the secrets are, are stupid. 
They're very simple. You'd be surprised that you were fooled by them. And it takes the magic really away, because really the magic is in the performance, is in the, is in the actual performance of the effects. It's not in the learning or the... Uh, there are a lot of cool ideas in magic, but most of it is when it's finally presented live to another person. Does it take on the actual magical quality? Because a lot of the other stuff is pretty mundane, actually. So for me, I just decided to learn very specific things. And then, like anything, I think, I just went at it basically every day. And it was a hobby at first, so it wasn't there was no pressure to turn it into anything. That's sort of how I got into copywriting a bit, too, because when I first started, I just started looking around for stuff. I first got into email, which I've mentioned before. You know, I, it just started with something very simple and worked my way up. And I think that's one of the better ways to do it is to uh, find something you want to do. Because you have to, if you don't have that passion for it, you it doesn't interest you. I have tried in almost innumerable things throughout my life. And if I wasn't super passionate about it or I didn't want to do it, it lasted like a week. And I was done. So I don't, I don't know what you're like, John. I know you're into a bunch of different things and, and you just told me recently you're into music. So maybe you can talk more about that. Yeah, it's... Uh... I grew up playing. I grew up playing guitar, so I have that in sort of as my background. Got really good at that and played in bands and stuff like that. But then haven't haven't really touched music for a while. And you, by the way, you know, I think the, what I'm trying to do here, what we're trying to do, is sort of pull out the concepts that you can apply to then copywriting or clients. But so with music, haven't touched it in five years. And then back in December, bit of a long story how this all sort of came to be. But back in December, I downloaded some software on my computer to make. I wanted to make dance music, the sort of music you'd hear at you know, ultra music festival or just one of those okay, massive like EDM or something. EDM, yeah. totally. I wanted to make some EDM yeah. and go on a stage and play it in front of a hundred thousand people. But then so the first, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I have a basic understanding of music, so I went in there and started making some songs. The problem was they sounded so terrible compared to mainstream stuff. <laughs> Right. And uh, it, it's very common, right? Is is that it sounds really, you know, a good song sounds really simple, but to to number one write a song in the first place that sounds, you know, good, and then to actually produce it, so to cry, use the right instruments and mix it and engineer it in such a way that it sounds good when you play it on a stereo, they're actually right. quite difficult things. So then I'm in that situation where all right, well, I can just have fun with it uh, and just do whatever I want whenever I pick it up, or I can deconstruct it and um, and 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 sort of, you know, try and get there in a more effective way. So the first step, and I think this is really important, is, is I had to figure out where I wanted to be. I, I couldn't just, um, you know, just make music or try and create exercises for specific things without knowing where I wanted to go. Because if I wanted to be a, you know, a mixing engineer, that's a very different thing to wanting to be, a, you know, an artist like Skrillex, for example. They're, they have different parts. Or DJing, yeah, something like that. So, there's this. So, so that was that was where I thought. I'm like, if I, if you know, if 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 I could have anything with it, yeah, if I could be in a stage in front of a hundred thousand people, that would that would be like the pinnacle or somewhere around that pinnacle. So, that gives you gives right. me something to aim at. And it's like, well, what do I need to develop now? And then um, there's a, two good books on this. The Four Hour Chef. There's a chat. You don't need to read the whole thing. There's just a chapter on learning that's worth reading. And then a book called Peak by Anders Ericsson, which is the guy who sort of invented the 10,000 hour rule, which isn't actually a rule at all. It's sort of right. a misappropriation of the research. Um, you do need to do a lot of practice, but the, ten, the fact that it's 10,000 hours, you know, it could be 5,000 or 200 or 15,000. Anyway, so he did that research. The book's called Peak. And so, so I read those two things, and then I broke up the process into all its components. You mentioned that it can be very overwhelming. Any, any yeah. field can be overwhelming when you look at it as it's just this big collection of stuff. You know, what I did instead was, was went, all right, well, what are the get various components? You've got songwriting. You've got sound design. You've got mixing, mastering. You've probably got DJing. Um, so you, got, you can break it up into like five, six, eight. 
10 different specific things. And then, and I think this is important, is then once you figure out, sort of break it up into things, you need to figure out what's standing between you. And so I'm like, well, what, what's the problem right now between me and this this goal right. or this rough point I've set where I want to get to? What's really separate? Like, why don't I have it already? I think is a good question. And I think the honest reason right. is that, you know, I'm a good marketer. I know that. But I just can't make a song sound that great. I, yeah, well, yeah. And this was, this was you know, nine or well, this is almost a year ago. So then I'm like, all right, well, let's let's make some, let's just work on the sounds and writing songs. Did that for a while, and then realized we'll, we'll split it up further. It was like, well, the songs are sounding pretty good now. The song as a whole just isn't doesn't feel like it's that great of a song. So then I started to think more about, well, you know, a great song in terms of the composition, in terms of the songwriting, is a great song no matter how it's produced, whether it's on guitar or right. piano or an electronic song. Right. Like it's just a good song. So I'm like, well, the biggest thing and the, the biggest limiter, the biggest problem is going to be my ability to write a good song. It's not going to be, at least not right now, it's not how well can I produce the song and how great can I make it sound on my computer. It's, right. is the song is just a concept. Any good, Any good yeah. I think that's good. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. So it's basically finding out, and this is backed up by, by those books, is figuring out where your weaknesses are and then creating exercise that target. And, um, and the result of all this, because that's probably the, you know, the real point, is so after 12 months... Um, I've been working with a, you know, a mentor to uh, to do this. Is actually, the first time I've told this story, but um, nice on the podcast. But um, yeah, I've been working with a couple of different people to sort of refine it, improve it. Teachers or mentors, you might call them. And uh, one guy said I made like uh, two years worth of progress in about six months. And um, awesome. when I show people the music that I'm putting out or that I'm able to make, they're, they're, I generally get this pretty – like most of them are very surprised that I've only been doing it for such a short time. And so, and I don't think that's necessarily about me. While I've practiced, you know, spent, spent a lot of time practicing, it's about the method, which I really just explained to you, which is figure out what you want, figure out what's stopping you from having it right now, what the problems are, and then just create specific – like don't just practice in general. If I just sat down every day and yeah. said, I want to practice some music, I wouldn't get anywhere. But instead, I'm saying, well, where do I suck? And then what can I do today that's going to make me suck a little bit less with that specific thing? And you do that enough times, because eventually, like with songwriting, eventually that won't be the issue anymore. I'll be able to write a pretty good song. And at that point, I'd be like, well, that's not holding me back anymore. What's really holding me back now is my ability to make a really good sounding synth. And then I need to do that. So it's sort of, I reckon it's as simple as that. And then using, if if possible, using teachers and mentors and coaches and stuff to, to sort of just improve that, improve that process of you getting data to find out where you're, you know, what you're good at, what you're bad at. And you can apply this process to, yeah, copywriting. You could split copywriting into sales letters, emails, and that apply it to one of those specific things. You could get more granular. To me, that's really the, the way you, the, the way you learn something. No, I think you're right. And, uh, you know, just thinking about it while you were talking, it's definitely the process I went through as well. When I got into magic, I started learning the tricks. Of course, you have the, the sleight of hand aspect of it, which is the whatever you're going to do with your hands and whatever implement you're using, whether it's a deck of cards or, or a piece of rope or whatever it is you're using. And then there's the psychology of it, you know, uh, as to how this thing is presented in terms of uh, what you're going to say, how you're going to uh, address where you're going to do things and how you're going to do things, not, not necessarily the moves, but the how you're going to block it, you know, for those people who are familiar with the theatrical ideas. You know, there's so many different components, but your chances are you're weak probably at more than one of these things. And so when you, you address it, you know, as, a, as an individual part, like you said at first, and then you combine sort of all the two. And usually it's, there's a synergy where the whole is much greater than the sum of the parts. So you learn about, you know, you improve on these certain aspects, and when you bring it back to the whole, it's now boosts everything to a then higher level it doesn't just add it's not like a plus one it's like a plus five yeah yeah so it's and that really helped me because if i really 
thought about how much I practiced doing uh, the magic, especially I practiced a lot more at the beginning. I don't, you know, I don't practice a whole lot now. I practice very specific things though, like you're saying, because I'm trying to do certain things with some of the magic I present these days. Uh, I'm really hyper-focused on those things and it's less, it's less broad and more specific. But it seems like in the, like where this research came from in this book, he mentions this in Peak. Uh, Anders mentions this in Peak, where you have a violinist, like the average violinist, when they're trying to, you know, practice a song, they just play the song. They just, you know, let's say it's Beethoven's ninth, you know, I don't even right. know, da na 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 whatever, some song. <laughs> no, the, the, yeah, yeah. I don't even know if that's the right one. Or da na na na, you know, <laughs> I'm not really don't a classical musician. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, they 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 just pick up their instrument, play the song a few times, and you know, I kind of messed that bit up. All right, let's just play the song through a few more times, and and then, and then we'll be good. And like that's how an amateur practices. And, uh, and at the same time, um, actually, no, I'll tell that, give you that example in a second. Um, the violinists, the experts, on the other hand, the way they will practice, well, see if you've got like a medium, like so the amateur slash experts, like the next level up, they would, let's say, play the song, they'd find out like, uh, all right, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm keep missing a note in the intro. So they just they practice the whole intro, which might be 16 bars or the first minute of the song or something like that. They just practice that. But the experts, the true experts who get really good and keep getting better are the ones who, if they find that there's a specific note in the intro that they're failing, they will try and isolate that you know, two or three or four or five second sequence of the intro and just practice that. And they will practice it as many times as it takes to the point until they can make it perfect, say, 10 times in a row. It's not enough to do it 10 times and get one of them right. They, they, they're trying to nail it every single it time, yeah. consistently. Yeah. You know, that's this, that's this sort of practice. And to get you know, another example, which I think is really fascinating, is uh, there was a study where they got uh, a bunch of you know, amateur singers, basically, like, let's say you and me went to a singing class. We don't really care that much about singing. We're just like, let's go have some fun. Let's go sing. And then, um, you know, they, they sort of got a group of people like that, and then a group of people who were expert singers and really trying to improve, that sort of thing. And they both went through this lesson. And afterwards, here's what was interesting, right? They noticed that the amateurs had a great time. Like, they felt like they were refreshed. They'd got a chance to express themselves and tap in, you know, that part of them that sort of, you know, wants to sing and joy, be joyful and all that sort of stuff, which is great. The experts, on the other hand, were exhausted. And, you know, they didn't necessarily enjoy it. They didn't feel fulfilled or satisfied or like they'd been able to express themselves. They felt like they'd practiced. And the difference between them was that they noticed that the amateurs approach the practice like they're, it's a chance to have fun. It's a chance to enjoy themselves and, like I said, express yourself. Whereas the experts approach the practice like it's a chance to improve. So they're using the practice to find out, again, where they suck and then, again, to repeat that specific thing until it gets better. And so this, this brings up an interesting sort of side to the, you know, side note here where it's like, like I'm doing the music because fundamentally I, I do really, really enjoy it and I, you know, I would really enjoy being on stage. I've done that before, being on stage. Like I, th- there is a deep sort of sense of meaning and satisfaction that drives it but at the same time I'm trying to temper that with this idea that there's going to be some things that I need to do to get better that aren't going to be fun that are going to be positively uncomfortable and that I'm going to have to use self-discipline to do and that's true like you can go and follow your passion but if you want to get really really good at something no matter how much you like it and think it's really really fun getting better and being really really good at it is hard work and it's not fun that's that's just what the data says yeah, no, I think you're 100% right on that. And it's, it is everything that you get good at requires hard work, or else it's not worth anything, you know? And another aspect, just as you were talking, and sort of you're talking about sort of how you went through the various stages of finding out what you were terrible at, what was holding you back. One of the things that really helped me in learning magic and in copywriting and a lot of different things, and I can remember the specific examples too, was when I saw other people who were good at it fail. It, reminded me, 
you know, that these are just people, one, capable of, of failure, and that this thing isn't as easy as they make it look most of the time. You know, so people are often measuring themselves against whatever ideal they have. You know, with magic, it was certain professional magicians I looked up to or whatever. With copywriting, of course, it's like, you know, the Gary Halberts, John Carlton's of the world or whoever. And, but when you listened and eventually heard stories, or in some cases I saw people in person who did things very badly, I would, you know, and street magicians, when I first got into street magic, I saw people who had been doing it for like, you know, decades fail to be able to get a crowd and so forth. It emboldened me to work harder because I saw how, the, in bold relief, it was kind of revealed that this is very difficult regardless of how long you've been doing it, you know? And so it was almost like, whoa, you know, these people screw up too. And so that really helped me to focus even more. I don't know if other people have that same experience, but it definitely, it sort of almost like pulled back the curtain and you saw the wizard kind of thing, you know? Right. And that reminds me of, um, you know, the sides, sides of this. So I mentioned before that the 10,000 hour rule is actually a lie. And the, because right. how that, how that became a rule is, is Anders Ericsson did the research. So he's the sort of the original scientist who did a lot of this, all the research behind elite performance. The book's incredible. Totally worth reading. Malcolm Gladwell then wrote, wrote, I can't remember what the book was called. It was one of the, one of his books. He then, you know, pulls it out of context and calls it the 10,000 hour rule because that's just a catchy way to refer to it takes a lot of time to become good. But what the reality was that, that the way I understand it is, and the way the, the the book seems to explain it is that it's more like an economy where, you know, if 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 you have, you know, within violinists, you know, vi- you know, being an a, you know elite solo violinist, like that's an old profession. It's been around for hundreds of years. So that means that you've had people who are who've been practicing, who've been doing it for 40, 50 years, and who've been also standing on the shoulders of giants in the sense of there have been people developing methods to learn violin uh, for you know, hundreds, thousands of years, maybe. So violin as an industry or the violin soloist industry as a whole you know the learning and mastery side of it is very very well developed and so therefore it means that if most violinists are currently putting in roughly 10,000 hours to reach an elite level of performance you need to you need to not just produce not not hit 10,000 hours he mentions this in this book because 10,000 hours will take you roughly 10 years if you do 4 hours a day 5 days a week but what you've got to understand is that by the time you you know you spend that 10 years where where's the violin industry going to be at 10 years from now in 2026 because maybe by that point people are investing 13,000 hours to become masters which means you don't need 10,000 you need 13,000 now this sounds kind of intimidating but I think where this gets really interesting is when you start going Cal Newport's uh, written a bit about this stuff that yeah while you know deliberate practice and the 10,000 hours might apply to becoming a violin soloist it applies differently to say like let's say there's new uh, some new like let's let's take Ruby as a programming language right this has been around for a while but um, and you've probably got a fair, fairly you know high level of proficiency, a lot of experts around, a lot of ways to learn it. But because it's so much of a new USA programming language, it might only take you fifteen hundred hours to become an expert in that. Right. Now, whereas you could take um, some brand new database CRM software, like go take sales, you know, some latest Salesforce release or some you know machine learning software or something. Go go take something like that. And there's probably like two people in the world, you know, you might only need 200 hours to become an elite expert at that. And so there's this interesting economy where I'm thinking like, man, like I think one of the most significant events in our lifetimes is going to be AI, artificial intelligence. And that's, you know, that's probably a, that's a huge topic maybe for another time. But, you know, I'm thinking like, how could you apply it to AI? Well, go and read, because AI is a fairly new industry. It's been around for, you know, a couple of decades maybe, but it's just, and it's proceeding at such a fast pace that, 
you could learn, you know, whatever you learned from 10 years ago is probably not particularly relevant now. So if you want to become like an AI expert, which I think is where, you know, AI and nanotechnology and all that, which are going to be huge industries, you could go and apply the same thing. Go and find, what don't you know right now? What are your weaknesses? What do you need to get better at? And apply the same process. And then you end up with this, like you can, you're choosing which game you want to play and each game has a different amount of hours that's going to, you know, require to get good. No, I think that's exactly true. And for people out there that that are... uh Obviously, we're, we're mostly talking on this about marketing and and uh, copywriting, and that's the same way to approach it. It's just chuck it. You know, I think a guy that I interviewed uh, that I consider a friend, uh, Roy Fur, who's a copywriter people may be familiar with, and he actually wrote the letter for the uh, Titans of Direct Response event that Brian Kurtz put on as one of his big successes. He, he said that Gary Bensavenga, who's con- considered sort of the greatest living copywriter i guess uh told him to just that the way he approached it was just to get one percent better every week and so he would go about learning reading applying things that he learned to make himself one percent better and by the time you get to the end of the year that's 52 percent well actually if you think about it you've got compound interest on that so it's one percent of one percent of one percent of one percent so it's probably more like 60 or 70 percent by the end of the year that's a good Uh, point so that's, you know, it's, like John said, we, I did the same thing when I learned various card tricks and so forth, was I just chunked it down to like the moves I had to perform, the ways in which I had to present, and, you know, and just small, and then I eventually, like I said, added them all back together. And once you come back to like the, the whole, so if you like say copywriting, you're going to learn about how to do offers, or how to structure offers better, and how to present them and so forth, you come back to the whole, which would be like a long form sales page or something, it'll, it'll boost it up like, you know, a much higher than it just adding it would, you know, linearly, it'll, it'll create that compound effect where the sum of the whole will be much greater. And that, I think is, yeah, I think it's, uh, so for people out there, you don't have to, you don't have to do everything in a single day. No, it's a journey. It's a journey. And I think a friend of mine, Colin Therio, who runs a cult of copy, on Facebook group that any copywriter should probably be a, be a part of. You can just go and hang out with other copywriters and learn and, and talk about this kind of stuff. He had said that there is no there's no art there's no board there's no uh, you know judgment council that proclaims you capable. So it's really just can you produce the results or not. And at first you know if you're looking for somebody to say yes you are now a copywriter it's just not going to happen. You have to actually just go out there and do it and fail, like John said uh, in an earlier podcast. And, you know, cut your teeth. You, you got to take action. You can listen to podcasts until you're blue in the face, but action always trumps meditation. So just get out there and do something. And uh, trust me, that that's like the best way to learn. When I did street magic, I went out there and I talked to people walking by and nobody stopped and nobody gave a, you know what? And then you became emboldened. It became numb to that. You became, and then you started talking louder, which is what you needed to do. And you started saying funnier things and acting more extroverted. And so, and it's just a process. So you got a little better, a little better, a little better, you know? And, it, and even when you're getting really good at it, it's still hard. You know, so that's one of the things to keep in mind is that all of a sudden it doesn't just like you hit easy street and everything just flows out of you and it's and, it, and you never have to work again. It's always a battle. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that uh, I mean, you mentioned this a moment ago, the the time like you don't need to be you know you don't need to do this all day every day. Like right. the 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 data actually supports that in the sense of like in uh, in this book, Piggy talks about the the various violinists and how much they study and they found that the the most expert the most elite violinists weren't the ones who practiced the most 
Which right. and I, I think this is revolutionary because you've got guys like Gary V saying out there that you need to be working 16, 18 hours a day, and if you don't, <laughs> you're going to fail. And then you've yeah. got you know Kanye West in the music industry saying that you know he went away and locked himself in a room, made beats for three months or four months. Like you've just got to be so passionate that you work all day. The reality is that most people, if not everyone, can't do that. Like, we can't sustain that level of focus. And if you do try and work for sixteen or eighteen hours a day, you will burn out sooner or later. Or the quality of your work as you do it just won't be that great, and you'll end up reinforcing bad habits. Now, what the yep. de- what the research actually says with these violinists is that the best violinists would practice for two hours usually in the morning when they're fresh they'd take a break they'd they'd take a nap or take a break of some kind and then they would um, practice for another two hours they usually practice on average three and a half to four hours a day five days a week they had they on they slept on average one hour more per night than the uh, average players and they i think they had a more active social life as well so that's really interesting right that these most elite violinists practiced less had more sleep and had a better social life the difference was that when the amateur players practiced they would just sit there and play the song as you know just lots and lots of times which takes a lot of time it's not efficient the expert players would go in there and they would practice for you know you know let's say one and a half to two hours the reason they would take a break or take a nap is that because of how intensely they were practicing and how much they were focusing on their weaknesses, the brain was so overloaded, so exhausted that it needed to take a nap or it you know, had to take a rest. Right. They couldn't right. have continued all day. Um, so that's, I think, something to keep in mind that when you're trying to learn copywriting or trying to learn how to get clients, intensity trumps volume. Yeah. I think that's, no, I think that's a very good point. My memory serves me correctly. Uh, there's a very famous copywriter uh, amongst copywriters by the name of Eugene Schwartz. Yeah. And he used to plant himself at his desk and set his egg timer for like 33 minutes and 33 seconds, if I remember correctly, and would just force himself to work. But he only put in like two or three hours a day and had other pursuits. He was an art collector and so forth. And he did all that stuff sort of like in the morning, if I remember correctly. And then he didn't do, you know, but he did that every day. You know, that really uh, suggests that he, just from his own, knowing, you know, what worked best for him, he might have been onto something, some of this, which was later borne out by the research. Yeah. It's like with the, you know, the music, the way I've been doing is similar to that. I set a time for 60 minutes. Well, you know, just yep. no, no Facebook, no email. Like, the idea is to be completely focused. And then as soon as that time finishes, take a 10 minute break. And then once the 10 minute yep. break's over, back into it and do it like, you can apply that to, you know, learning anything. And, you know, you might not need to take a nap. And you got to sort of, I think, structure it. But I think, yeah, that if you can. Like, if you were able to practice for four hours a day like that and do that consistently for, you know, three, six, 12 months, you're going to be really, really, like, most oh, people do not get crush. four hours worth of good <laughs> focus time each day, you know? You know, that's really funny that you say that way, too, because that's one of the reasons why I became a nomad and I left the jobs that I had several years ago was because I realized at some point that because I was working normal jobs and I had most of that time allocated to that, that I couldn't allocate the time that I wanted to to the things I wanted to learn like copywriting or you know I didn't know at the time I was going to be a street magician but eventually that and so that's one of the reasons why I, I hit I hit the the became a nomad too is because I had to get uh, that time back so I could focus on things I really wanted yeah cool awesome dude alright well, let's wrap it up I think it's been a pretty pretty good discussion on learning if you can't figure out how to learn anything after this then uh, <laughs> you got some problems there's no hope for you <laughs> yeah, you gotta learn how to maybe you need to go and listen to this podcast with really lots of intensity you know yeah. for four hours a day for a few weeks and then you'll get it you know maybe that'll help 
Anyway, all right, well, let's wrap it up here. Thank you, uh, thank you for listening. Links will be in the uh, show notes at mickmethod.com. Uh, if people want to learn more about you, where should they go? Mickmethod.com. Uh, Easy, cool, cool. Sweet man, well, good chat, and uh, I'll see you next time. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you want to discover more insider tips, tricks, and secrets about driving sales with email marketing, sign up for daily email tips from the autoresponder guy. Go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast. Sign up, confirm your email address, and I'll send you daily emails on how to improve your email marketing and make more sales via email. You'll find out why open rates don't matter and the seven-letter word that underlies all effective marketing and much more.